live from a corner in Winslow, Arizona, it's the Dockiverse Podcast, Episode 28, The Dungeon of Icky Things. In this episode, we have another monster movie review, another room in the five-room dungeon, more RPG prompts, and yes, indeed, commentary. Now we'll get things started just as soon as I go talk to that girl in the flatbed fort. Hello there, folks, and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you all had a great weekend. Mine was pretty good. Didn't do a whole heck of a lot, but it was pretty nice. The weather here in Sacramento is fairly warm, not scorchingly hot. Still a lot of smoke in the air because we have big, huge, terrible fires going on, not very far from here. But you do what you do. You live where you live. Now, as always, I want to move on to thanking all of my wonderful, wonderful patrons over on Patreon. These folks are great. If you ever get a chance to meet them, you'll understand. So thank you, David. Thank you, Avis. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Jame. Thank you, Marion. And thank you, Mark. If I loved you any more, I'd break into song. So now we move on to the monster movie review that we do every Monday. And this time we are moving away from the singular weird monsters that I did before to humongous humans. And yeah, it's just what you think. These are movies about people who have grown a great big size and turned into monsters or lost their minds or whatever the hell's going on. And the first one we're going to review is the best one of the bunch. The Amazing Colossal Man. It's a 1957 American black and white science fiction film from American International Pictures, produced and directed by Burt I. Gordon, who did a whole lot of movies, some of which were good and some of which were, well, less than good. The film stars Glenn Langan, Kathy Downs, William Hudson, and Larry Thor. It is an uncredited adaptation of Homer Eon Flint's 1928 short science fiction novel, The Nth Man. It was theatrically released by AIP as a double feature with Catgirl. And I'm not 100% sure I ever saw Catgirl. The film's storyline is simple. A U.S. Army lieutenant colonel survives a plutonium explosion, and he grows about 10 feet a day, finally reaching 60 feet tall. The big problem is that his heart is not keeping up with the rest of his body, so he's not getting enough blood flow to the brain. He's eventually going to die if he keeps growing, but by the time he gets to 60 feet, his brain is, you know, deteriorated enough that he's just wandering around going, ah, and tearing things up and scaring the crap out of people. Now, this movie has sort of an interesting beginning because once he's not bandaged up and laying there in a hospital, and he's about 30 feet tall or something, Colonel Glenn Manning, the colossal man of the title, is in his tent that they've built to hold him at this research facility, and he's talking to his fiancée, and he's explaining things about how he feels and how he wants to just stop growing, and there's a lot of emotion, and it's really a very excellent scene. And then, of course, the movie moves on to, you know, Big Monster wandering around, doing stuff. Uh, The movie has some memorable scenes. Uh, If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. There's the scene where he's tearing through Las Vegas, 
tearing down, you know, famous signs and things. And there's the scene with the hypodermic needle and stuff like that. It is the best of the giant human movies. They've not made any of those in recent decades, and that's kind of a shame because they could have some interesting ideas going on nowadays with a giant human running around. I should also note that the same year this came out, Bert I. Gordon did another movie with a giant human, and it was called The Cyclops. Totally different story, way, way lower budget, and by the way, Amazing Colossal Man didn't exactly have a huge budget to begin with, but the Cyclops in there is deformed and ugly looking, and they used almost the same makeup for the sequel to The Amazing Colossal Man, War of the Colossal Beast. Now, I'll be talking about both those movies in future episodes, but this is how Bird Eye Gordon was. You know, hey, let's use the same makeup. Boom, boom. Made another movie. Anyway, if you get a chance to see Amazing Colossal Man, and it shows on TV fairly frequently, both on broadcast channels and on cable channels or satellite channels, and you can see it on YouTube, go ahead and see it. It's well worth watching. Our next piece here, as usual, is the Five Room Dungeon, which is the road to nowhere this time around. And we're on room three, which is the trick or setback room. And this one I call the Naughty Statue. No, it's not pornographic, but the statue is naughty. The characters, after having moved on from the last room, several miles actually, further up into the mountains, they are now above the tree line. And they come to a mining town, which has been carved out of the side of the mountain. Like I say, there's no trees up the mountain above this mining town. It's all uh, rocks and scree and things like that. If they look around, first of all, the mines are collapsed and closed, so they can't go into the mines. If they look around town, they may encounter some interesting little annoying creatures to attack them, maybe some bugs or or maybe uh, some sort of little miniature stone elementals or something. But the real thing they find is there's a building off to one side of town, and it's just a little shack, and there's a desk, and there's some stuff on the desk that looks interesting. It can be whatever you want it to be, nothing of really great value. Maybe a few coins. But in the corner of the room, there's a statue. And the statue has been painted, but the paint is starting to flake off, and they can see that underneath it's gold. And it's sitting there in a corner. It's about 18 inches high. It's a statue of a miner. And sure enough, one of your characters is going to pick up that statue. But picking it up is a bad idea because that's the trick. And it creates a setback. The moment they pick it up, they activate a magical spell that has been just waiting for somebody to do this. Now the statue's heavy enough that it won't have fallen over from a minor vibration or, you know, an animal bumping into it. It's pretty hefty. Made of gold, really. So they are getting some sort of trigger. But when they pick it up, this magic spell goes off and there's an explosion on one side of town, an explosion on the other, and massive amounts of rocks come down and block the road in both directions. There will be no landslide in the town, just an enormous landslide now covers the road for a hundred yards in any direction you know, on either side of the town. That's where the setback comes in, because now your players have to scramble over this landslide, 
which is fairly unstable, so they'll be slipping and sliding and falling, and they may bang themselves up as they climb over it. And that should it should take them a little while to get over this landslide. It should cause them annoyances, a few minor problems, and that's the setback. The setback on time. They've got this statue. They think they've got some great loot. When they get somewhere, they'll find that only about a, I don't know, a sixteenth of an inch of the statue is actually gold. And underneath it, sure enough, it's lead. Obviously, they didn't watch the Maltese Falcon. So that's it for this room. We will now go on to something else. And lo, what we have gone on to are RPG prompts. And our first prompt is evolve. Everything evolves. Players evolve. GMs evolve. The quality of role-playing game ideas and writing and construction all evolve. Dice evolve. Uh, We've all evolved to the point where we are now. And we need to continue to evolve. A lot of this is on an individual basis. If you are a GM who has been traditionally just running the game for your old high school or college buddies for so long, and now they've gone off and done things and you're trying to start up a new campaign with a new group, you will have to evolve because they aren't your old college buddies anymore. You may have women, you may have people of color, you may have people from the LGBTQ community, you may have whatever. You have to evolve. If you are a player and you've always played things a certain way and you move into a group or get into a con game or whatever that's different from how your group has always played, you have to evolve. You have to change. Change is good, folks. Embrace it. The next prompt on the list is familiar. That's something I always have a little bit of a problem with in games. Not so much because I don't think mages and wizards should have familiars. But because very often, the familiars are played strictly as a useful tool when they need it. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to see through the eyes of my falcon. Or I'm going to listen in using my cat familiar. And then the rest of the time, it's just walking along beside him or sitting in a pack or whatever the hell a familiar does. Now, in the game I run for my D&D and pizza group, there are two... Well, one's a familiar, one's an animal companion. The ranger's animal companion is a dog named Freya. And in many cases, Freya is the most intelligent person in the group because while the humans are attacking something they probably ought not be fucking with, Freya is like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to lay underneath this tree. And usually, laying underneath the tree with them is the cat that belongs to our wizard. Why? Because a cat is as smart as a dog and says, no, I'm not going to fuck with that shit. You know, that's a monster. I'll just be right over here doing my cat thing. They have personalities. They're very funny. They are excellent. Some of the best familiars and animal companions I've ever had in a game. So when you run a game, try to get your players to give, if they have a familiar or an animal companion or a pet or whatever, try and give them some personality. Try and get your players to, you know, give give your cat or dog some personality, whatever. If the animal can speak, that's even better. So familiars really need to be used more creatively in games. Our final prompt here is mystery. And mystery is often a thing in games. There's a mysterious guy doing things in the background. You need to find out who he is or she is. There's a mystery as to 
how something happened or why something is the way it is, or sometimes it's a straight-up murder mystery. Who killed the wizard? Who killed the king? Who killed your friend at the pub? Maintaining a mystery, sometimes it's a little dicey. You have to figure out what clues to give them, uh, what not to tell them. Really, I think in a lot of ways, it's hard to do a mystery if the rules get in the way. And if you really want to run a mystery game or an investigative game, your best bet is to go find The Gumshoe System by Robin Laws and check that out because it's designed to promote investigation where you get the facts and you have to figure them out. It's not a lot of searching around for stuff. Those are our prompts for this time. We'll have three more next episode. Now we're going to move on to commentary. And this commentary is, well, I'm giving you a warning up front here, folks. This commentary deals with death. Now, in the past month, two people I know have died. One was Steve Perrin, the creative drive behind so many different games, and a man who actually, with the Perrin conventions that were published in various places, including Alarms and Excursions fanzine, uh, that changed D&D. And Steve's passing was not wholly unexpected because he'd had some health problems, but it still was sudden. And then a friend of mine lost her husband to a heart problem. He passed away rather suddenly. He had had health problems, but, you know, you never expect these things. Even when you get advance warning about somebody's health and all that, you really never really expect them to die. And here's where the discussion of death becomes both personal and, I guess, philosophical. Death is the one thing in life that we can't do a damn thing about, and yet we fear it. We fear it because, well, because of religion and because of the human fear of the unknown. But you can't do anything about it. So worrying about it, fearing it, Wasting time over it, not much you can do. There's nothing you can do, really. As far as the death of people we know, pets, whatever, getting over it is an individual thing. Some people deal with it a lot better than others. They, they get over it faster, if you ever indeed do get over a certain death. But other people, they take a longer time. They try, and it's just difficult. Um, it often depends on the person. Was it somebody you knew but didn't know very well? Well, you know, you get over that fairly quickly. Was it a family member, a loved one, a beloved pet? That's harder. I have gone on record as saying that it is harder for me to get over the death of an animal than it is to get over the death of a person. And that applies all the way up to people in my own family. I got over my father's death a lot faster than I got over the death of my first dog that Grace and I had when we were first married, Roscoe. Just how I am. For other people, it's different. But death is always with us, and it's always going to be. And we should maybe remember that when people are going through hard times, dealing with someone's death, maybe we should talk to them about it. That really, really helps. That's my rather morbid commentary for this time. All right, I want to thank you all for listening today, folks. And if you have any suggestions, comments, or questions, I can be reached on Facebook, where I am Doc Cross, on WordPress at the Dockiverse blog, via email at agentroscoe at gmail.com, or if you're listening via Anchor, you can leave a voicemail. If you'd like to support me via Patreon 
and hear these podcasts weeks before they go up on Anchor, you can just go over to www.patreon.com forward slash dot cross and sign up for as little as a dollar a month. And you will also get mini podcasts and access to PDFs of all sorts of things I've written, which are mostly gaming related. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast or advertise on it or give me some money because you think I'll do wonderful things with it, and I will, get in touch with me by any of the methods I just mentioned above, and we will chat about it. Our music for the last time was Big Sandy and his Flyright Boys playing an unnamed instrumental off of the Free Music Archives. I don't know what the music will be next episode, but we'll both find out together. This podcast and everything on it, except the music, is copyright 2021 by Doc Cross.